0: For anyone that was here last week, yeah? Did you just experience, like, Steve continued our series on Jesus is better as we're going through the book of Hebrews. Um, There was one phrase that really jumped out at me that was just amazing. And that was, uh, you know, so many of us, we have, um, we keep forgetting what God calls us to remember. And we keep remembering what God calls us to forget. And and that was just a powerful phrase, just to release us from the shame, right? No shame, and uh, and 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 to to release us from all those things that we keep hanging on to, and just free us into who God has called us to be, and and so that that the words of God actually speak more about who we are than all the voices that so often uh, put us down and um, and 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 remind us of all of our shortcomings. That 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 Jesus is the one that paid for our sins. And, uh, and so I'm excited for, for Neil to continue this series uh, this morning. I'm actually going to pray again. I'm just going to pray. do. Yeah. So, so God, let's, uh, let's just pray a special blessing on, on Neil as he begins to just bring this word from, from Hebrews. Bless uh, just this, this time that we can all glean everything that you've called for us to, to get. That we'd be uh, attentive and that we would be able to just um, hear both his voice and your voice yeah. as, we, as we press into you. All this we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Yeah, Ladies amen. and gentlemen, Neil Shorey. Thank you, sir.
1: Guys, we're continuing in our series called Jesus is Better. We've been in the series for quite some time now, uh, but there's something that I'm realizing personally, and maybe you guys um, are already ahead of, ahead of me in the curve. <clears throat> it's that life, excuse me, <clears throat> wow, it's allergies, wow, it's fall, isn't it? That always happens to me in the fall. So life is kind of hard. Uh, life's hard. I, I've been through things and God has seen me through things and new things pop up all the time and, and I personally need to be reminded that Jesus is better because there are enough things that happen in life that, that I, I, can get, I can get distracted, I can get sort of sidewinded by something. I'm, I'm, I can't believe how many things still surprise me in life. Have you noticed that in your own experience? The life is hard. We're tempted by other things. I need to be reminded all the time by friends and family that Jesus is better. And I need the words from the heart of God to be reminded of it and for it to sink down deep so that when trials come, when hardships come, I still can stand up and I can keep going. Right? Maybe you guys need that too. I don't know what you're going through, um, but I can personally relate to what the Apostle Paul wrote In uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, actually it's in, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, Uh, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Can I be really honest, guys? I have had the sense for, for for a while now that death has been at work in me and in those people around me. Can you guys relate to that at all? Have you been going through some hard times that have sort of surprised you? Well, we definitely have, and I, 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 need to, I need to declare this because it is true, even though I don't always feel it, but my hope rests in the author of life, not in my circumstances. My hope rests in the author, not in the story, okay? My hope rests in God and God alone. Last week, Steve preached from the first half of uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and it was all about Jesus's once and for all sacrifice, and, and if you've noticed in Hebrews, this theme just keeps coming up. The whole thing is about how Jesus is better, and, and he just keeps going and going and going, and as Brandy pointed out a couple of weeks ago, the author said something interesting. He said, um, I'm going to be brief with my comments, and it's like, wow, Hebrews is really long. I wonder what he'd be like if he said all that he thought about Jesus. But there must be a reason that the author keeps hitting in on these facts. There must be a reason. It must be that we need to hear it a lot. There is a universal human tendency to try to be good enough to get to God. How many of you guys do that? Stop trying. There's also a tendency for some to think that they are already good enough to get to God. You are not. You can't be good enough to get to him, and you are not good enough to get to him. Thank you. We have access to God for one reason and one reason alone, because God made a way. God made a way through the one called the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't that good news? You don't have to do anything to get to God and quit trying to be good enough to get to him because you can't. So just let it go and allow him to be the Lord and follow him. Are you ready to get to what God has for you today? Are you excited to hear what the Lord has to say to you through scripture? Um, If you're new around here, we want you to know that we just alone, we don't have a whole lot to say to you that's going to change your lives. We don't have a whole lot to say to you. You guys are like, well, then why am I here? Because it's God who speaks through us who has something to say to your specific situation and I can't tell you how many times I've preached and and I don't know everybody's individual circumstances that they're going through but so many times I've gotten to the end of a message and someone will come up to me and say I feel like you must have been in my house all week because you spoke something that, that, that literally was just for me. I know maybe it was not for anybody else in the whole auditorium but it was just for me and I'm like it's because God is good. He's Sees you, And he wants you to know that you are not alone in your circumstances. Isn't that good news today? If you came here with all sorts of bad news, if you came here worried about what next week holds, know this, the best news is that the God of the universe, the author of creation, he sees you right where you are. Wow, this is quiet. You guys are killing me right now. Let me say this again. God sees you. The God of all creation, the one who breathed the stars into existence, he cares enough about you to see you today. Isn't that good news? This is, this, is a, this is like powerful. Don't ever get used to the reality that God is for you. He sees you, and he's going to work in your life today. Don't ever get used to it. We want you to know that no matter where you are on your spiritual journeys, you are welcome here. You don't have to be some super Christian, super apostle to be part of our church. You are welcome right where you are. No matter what you've come from, no matter what you've done, we care about you and so does the Lord. So let's pray. Let's pray today and ask God to speak. Lord, I I just give you thanks because um, you knew um, exactly what people would be here today and you have a very specific word for each one. Lord, I pray that you would use me, help me to get out of your way to speak what you want to say. And I pray that you would amaze everybody here, not just with your power, but with your love, the fact that you see them, you care about them, that um, you know the plans that you have for them. I pray that people would um, just give in. They would give in to your goodness, not because you're forcing uh, that, but because you're so good it's irresistible. Um, Lord, I just invite you here today And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would do a new thing here today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray with expectation. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 39. Okay? Stick with me. I'm just going to read through the whole thing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence... And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God." It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living god. Remember those early earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. by my righteous one, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Have you guys ever been in a meeting at work where you get called into your boss's office? Anybody? You got called into your boss's office and you're a little bit nervous, but then she sort of surprises you because she says something positive about something that you've done and you're like, oh, this is awesome. This is so encouraging. And then you're like, oh, is that it? And she's like, no, there's more. You're like, okay, well, what else do you have? And And then she says something to you and it sort of like takes a little bit of a turn and you start to think, oh, no, she... She, had, she said something nice to me, and then she gave something kind of heavy to me. And then you're like, well, is that it? And then she ends with something positive, and it's kind of like the equivalent of a good game, tiger. And then you get up, and you're a little confused about what happened. Have you ever been there? Um, it's, sort of, it's known as the, the sandwich approach. And I told the group earlier today that I was going to also call it something else, because it really is. You can look this up. It's called the praise sandwich And then I had someone tell me that they don't really eat bread on sandwiches. And I'm just like, well, if you don't eat the bread, then you're missing out on the encouragement. Because carbs encourage. That's another story, right? (laughs) Has anybody ever been depressed after eating sweets? Of course not. (laughs) So this praise sandwich, I've now said that twice... I might say it again just because I'm liking that. Um, The praise sandwich uh, seems kind of appropriate for what we're talking about here in chapter 10. So we're going to get a little bit of everything, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of warning, and then some encouragement again at the end. And here's our first takeaway from this passage, and I think this is encouraging. And it's basically this. The author is saying, you've been given some special gifts, so we just want you to use them. You've been given some special gifts, and we just want you to use them. None of us goes, uh, no, none of us throws a birthday party, and then we, when we receive gifts, we, like we don't then, um, we, we don't just leave them on the side. You, you, you can't send a thank you note for, for gifts you don't open. You, no one says, oh no, I'm good, I've received enough gifts. But I think a lot of times in the church world, we have all these things that God has given us, and, and we just say, well, I guess that's for someone else. I guess I don't really need to have that. It's like, if God gives us something, shouldn't we open them and then use them? More so than anything you could ever get at a birthday party, open the gifts that God has given you. So the author of Hebrews has made it abundantly clear that Jesus is better than all of these things that we see in the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament sacrificial system is less than Jesus. Jesus is better than the prophet's. He's more important than any other person who's come along. And he's actually the fulfillment of the law. In other words, if you guys are trying really hard to be good enough to get to God, and your hope is that one day you'll stand before him and he's going to say, well, here are your bad deeds, but here are your good deeds. Welcome home. He's not going to say that because you can't be good enough to get to a holy God. But Jesus made a way that you could never make on your own. And then the author says, therefore, and as Steve shared some weeks ago, we're supposed to ask, like, what is, why is it there? What is therefore? You know, why do we need to, uh, why do we need to understand what came before? Well, he goes on to explain that we have some privileges, We have some privileges because of what Jesus has done for us, and privileges only matter if you use them. The worst thing, like this is one of my pet peeves in life, okay? One of my biggest pet peeves is when people who don't vote complain about elected officials as if they don't have any say-so in the matter. Listen. Don't complain about any president. I don't care what party that president is from. If you have no intention of going into the voting, the polling place, and actually voting, okay? Don't complain about that. It just doesn't matter. I've been thinking a whole lot about politics and how the church relates to it. Maybe you guys, maybe you guys have been doing that too. Um, isn't it? Isn't it strange how? Um, we tend to lose our civility online when it comes to discussing, discussing political issues. And shouldn't we as Christians be the exact opposite of that? Can we, can we really make a concerted effort as a church to not get into those divisive conversations but have conversations like together and, and not ever assume that someone who's on the opposite side of the political spectrum is our enemy? Can we do that? Can we start with just the basic understanding that we are Christians first Can we do that? And then have conversations about differences, but not start with assuming that someone on the other side of the aisle is bad. Wouldn't that be amazing? I think we can do it as a church. I think we can lead the way in those conversations. So just like that, we have privileges as Christians. We have privileges as Americans to vote, and we have uh, privileges as Christians, but they only matter if we use them. And the author of Hebrews talks about these privileges in a a way. And and three different times in the first section of this passage, um, the author starts with the words, let us. It's an invitation. So we have an invitation. And here's the first, let us. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. You guys have probably been, a lot of people here have been Christians long enough that that's not a foreign concept to you, but you have to understand that for people who are Jewish converts to the faith, to the Christian faith, this was revolutionary, this was revolutionary because not everybody could just draw near to God. There was actually only one person who could go all the way in to, to the Holy of Holies. It was the most holy place, the, the place where the presence of God existed, or that person would die. To enter into God's presence was a serious and solemn matter, and they took it very, very seriously. So we have this author saying, I know that that's the way you used to relate to God, but there is a new way, so let us draw near to God. This was a mind-blowing concept for these people, and I'm afraid that sometimes we don't realize the access and the privilege that we have as Christians today to draw near to God. This is how serious it was, guys. Two of Aaron's sons were struck dead by God because of how they entered his presence. They offered incense with what Scripture calls strange fire. Whoa, that's scary. So so how we approach God matters. It matters so much that these guys, when they offered this incense with strange fire, they were actually consumed by the fire. That's, a, that's a, a frightening thing, yet the author says to us, let us draw near to God. You have to know this, the Lord is not angry with you today. He did everything possible to remove all the obstacles so that you could draw near to him. And to enter into the presence of God is a big deal Can you imagine how hard it would be to get an audience with President Trump or with former President Obama? Can you imagine what you'd have to go through if somehow they responded to your message? All of the Secret Service, all of the FBI, all the, like, you'd have to be, you would be so thoroughly background checked, yet even after you were cleared, and, and, and had an audience with the president, do you realize that if you made any sudden move, you would be like destroyed in a heartbeat? You would be told to be still, to, to probably exactly how you had to sit, exactly where you could move to, what you could do and what you couldn't do. Yet the author of Hebrews says, draw near to God. He's the one who gave us presidents. He's the one who created everything. Yet we can draw near to him anytime we want. We have a gift. The question is, will we use it? Here's the second let us. Let us hold on to hope unswervingly. Let us hold on to hope unswervingly. Is this hope that you're going to get a, uh, you know, a supercar? Is this hope that you're going to get the new iPhone XS? Is this, like, what is this hope that you're holding on to unswervingly? It's simply hope in Jesus. Hope in Jesus, don't hope in anything else. Anything less than hope in Jesus is worthless, isn't it? Life is hard. I officiated 35 funerals before I ever officiated a wedding. My first year of ministry, I officiated 35 funerals. That is facing intense grief with, other, with, with families about once every 10 days of my very first year of ministry. It was absolutely overwhelming and it's completely out of balance sounding, isn't it? Weddings are very different than funerals, and it's draining to face that kind of grief. But we have hope that comes from another place, another realm. So we don't have to respond to these hard things the same way the world responds to hard things, do we? One of my favorite funeral passages is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. I've shared this in most funerals that I've done. It says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who what? Have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. In other words, if you die with belief in Jesus, you will return with Jesus, you will come back because he's paid the price. You don't have to, uh, this is not denying grief. This is not denying hard times. This isn't disassociating and pretending like life isn't hard. No, this is fully standing in the valley of the shadow of death and saying, even though all these things swirl around me, I can still stand because I have hope in the one who made a way. I have hope in the one called the way, the truth, and the life. We have a great, great gift of hope. Let's use it. Let us hold on to Jesus unswervingly. Here's the third let us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Can we be real about this? A whole lot of us, in the, particularly in the American church, I would say probably a little bit less in the Edge Church on average than other churches, but it still exists here. Can we? I don't think we take our gathering nearly as seriously as God wants us to. I don't think he does. How do I know that? Because there are people here today who would consider themselves regular attenders of our church community, but a regular attender to you means maybe once or twice a month you show up on a Sunday. And if you're wondering why your spiritual life is a little bit lackluster, if you're wondering why you don't feel connected to people around you, I can tell you it's because you're not around the people around you enough. God has designed us to thrive in community. It's not the singular focus of the Christian faith to be all about yourself, but also to focus, it is also to focus on others. It's our privilege to gather it should strike a little bit of a a chord of concern in our hearts that there are people all over the world risking their lives today to gather because they know how much community matters. But for us, we're very nonchalant about the idea of gathering. Persecution does something to the church. It shows it what it's really made of. And it shows it how important it shows it shows us how important gathering actually is. You've been given a gift of community. Use it. So here's the second part of the praise sandwich. That's now the third time I've said praise sandwich. Don't reject Jesus as God's plan for the forgiveness of sins. Don't reject Jesus. As God's plan for the forgiveness of sins, I can almost hear the author saying, um, I just told them all the reasons why Jesus is better. Now I'm gonna tell them, don't even think about turning away from something that good. He's like, listen, I've spent a whole lot of chapters telling you about why Jesus is better. Now don't even think about walking away from something that good. Now now we enter the part where it's caused, uh, verses 26 through 32 have caused more than a few followers of Jesus sleepless nights. Because we sort of wonder with the first words. We we hear, if we deliberately keep on sinning and we're kind of, if you're at all introspective, and I encourage you to, to be introspective, think about your life, think about how you're following Jesus. But if you're at all the introspective type, you have read this passage and you've thought, uh oh. And then it says, if you deliberately keep on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, in other words, after you've given your life to Jesus, there's no sacrifice for sins left, only judgment. How many of you guys have honestly thought, how many sins does that mean? How, 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 far, how far is too far? Because that sounds kind of scary because it sound, almost sounds like there's a little bit of a limitation. If I deliberately keep on sinning after I've received Jesus, there's no sacrifice for sins left. And then some of you guys are like, no, I would never commit deliberate sins. I don't know about you guys, but most of my sins are not accidental. They're not. I'd love to say, oh, it's just a, it was an accident but the reality is, most of my sins are a lack of self-control on my part, where I say something I shouldn't say, I think something I shouldn't think, and it plays out in my relationships. How many of you guys have done that? But, but I can say that those are on accident, but the reality is, most of the time that I sin, I know it either right in the moment, and I choose to do it anyway, or I try to make an excuse for why it really wasn't deliberate. It was actually just an accident because I don't like this passage. <laughs> because it says very clearly, if I deliberately keep on sinning, and I'm like, all, like, almost all of my sins are deliberate, if I'm really honest. Like 99% of them. And they are for you too. You know exactly what you're doing when you sin. If you've read almost any of Scripture... You know what sins are and what aren't sins. And, and you know when you do it, if you've given yourself to it or not. Let's be real. When we sin, we mostly know what we're doing. Most are not accidental, um, whoops, I sinned. I didn't, I didn't know that was a sin in Scripture until you just told me. Most of us aren't that person. So, does this, so this is a heavy implication. Does that mean that all of us who have actually sinned and we know it are Going to hell? Is that what this means? And I know this isn't just for me, it's for you guys too, because you all wrestle with your sinful natures, don't you? Yeah? Or have you just given yourselves over to it? Do you wrestle with it? I wrestle with my sinful nature. I still do. I still wrestle with it. I want you to remember the context of the book of Hebrews. It was written to Jewish converts to the Christian faith. And when persecution came, they were tempted to what? What were they tempted to do? Someone, shout it out. They were tempted to turn back. This was not just some ordinary sin that Jesus came to die for and to cover. This was a deliberate turning away. We have to remember this. Here's the context of, of our experience that, that we, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and Jesus came and he died for our sins. He showed us how to live in a new way. He, he was buried and he came back from the dead to defeat death and sin. Is Jesus ever surprised when we sin? No. He's never surprised by our sin. Um, 1 John 1.8, it says this, if we claim to be without sin... We're liars. 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God isn't shocked by sin, but we should be surprised by his grace in it. And we're never supposed to use grace as, as an excuse or a license to keep sinning. That's never what genuine faith looks like. But what it looks like is when we sin, we're surprised by his grace in our lives again. And he picks us up and he cleanses us from unrighteousness and he says, keep going. You're still in the game. There's nothing holy about staying down in the dirt. But get up quickly after you've confessed and move forward. So what is this deliberate continuous sin that the author equates with these terrible things? And I, I'll tell you what the author says. He says that this deliberate sin tramples the Son of God underfoot. Boy, that's, that sounds awful. This deliberate sin, it, it's as if we have treated as an unholy thing the blood of Jesus. Boy, that's, that's heavy too. And who has insulted the spirit of grace, spirit in the sentence is capitalized, it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. So with this, this kind of sin, we are insulting the Holy Spirit. Now there are many, many ideas that, that surround this passage and many, uh, many people have argued over thousands of years about what this means, but I personally do not believe this is referring to sins that we struggle with. But it's about a very purposeful deliberate turn away from jesus once you've encountered him where you say i know what scripture says i one time received jesus as savior where where you make a, a profession of faith and then you turn away deliberately and you say i don't want to have anything to do with that it doesn't matter to me that is the trampling of the son of god underfoot That is treating his shed blood as though it doesn't matter, and that's insulting the Holy Spirit. But if you are a Christian who just has honest struggles, if you are struggling with sin, you're probably in a good place because if you're struggling, it means you know that's not what God has for you, that he has something better for you. A struggle means that you're still in the battle. If you're apathetic towards everything of Jesus, you need to ask God to give you, give you a fresh touch of his Holy Spirit. But unless you deliberately turn from Jesus after, you, after you've known him, like these Jewish converts were tempted to do, to go back to the old way, to, to do the Old Testament sacrifices so that they could get to God through what they had done. Unless you do that, I don't believe You've committed the sin that these verses are talking about. And isn't that good news? I've heard it said before that if you're all at all concerned that you have crossed over into apostasy, that is an, uh, an unbelief once you have known God, then you have not committed apostasy. Because those who have committed apostasy are fully apathetic. They don't care one bit about what they've done. So if this passage worries you at all, there's a darn good chance you haven't done what it's talking about. That's good news to me. So that feedback wasn't quite as scary as you might have thought. Here's our final point today. Remember the past, be faithful in the present, and have hope for the future. Remember the past, be faithful in the present, and have hope for the future. In the final few verses of the chapter, the author author turned his attention back to the challenges of the people. He reminded them of their their conversion and the joy-filled struggles that they encountered. And he told them to stay the course. And he said, if you stay the course... And the author had every confidence in these people that they were going to stay the course. I love how he encouraged. He knew what it took to encourage. He didn't say, I don't think you have what it takes. He said, I know you have what it takes, and I know that you are going to be people who persevere. He made them look back at their start, reminded them that their start, how they started with Jesus, can carry them through the present. And then he pointed them to the future and he said, I know you're going to make it to the promised land with me. We are those people. You are those people. You're going to make it to the promised land too. When I first became a Christian, everything and everyone was like shiny and new. I just saw people differently. I I, I anytime I met someone who didn't know Jesus, I just I would pray for that person just constantly. And God was just always on the move in my life. He showed up, and in every prayer I prayed, he'd give me an answer. I mean, it was quick. Like everything, because he knew that I needed it to, to continue on in my journey, because he knew that there would be a time when he wouldn't answer just that same way. And I'd have to look for Jesus through through other means and other circumstances. And it would get harder. But he just answered, he just answered and answered and answered in such obvious ways to let me know that he, he was with me and that he loved me. And I can tell you that today I draw great strength. From looking back at those times. Because there are times today when I don't feel like He answers me in quite the same way. I have to see Jesus in new ways. How about you? But I'm encouraged when I look back because when I look back, it gives me fuel for the future. It gives me fuel to get through today. When I remember what He's done so I can be faithful to Him in the present, which always leads me to trust Him for the future. Use the fuel of God's past faithfulness to propel you from the present into a much preferred future. The one who was faithful before, he is with you today, and he will lead you to the future. Becoming a Christian is a a weird paradox. It's the easiest thing to do, and it costs you everything. Jesus told his followers, In this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) Amen, right? But in this world... In this world you will have trouble but I have overcome the world. He wants us to take heart. He has seen it through to the other side. And one day we will see this Jesus face to face. And we'll say it was hard but we'd do it all over again. Jesus is better. His salvation is free. And the question I have for you today is do you know him? Do you know him? Or are you still struggling to be good enough to get to God? In the same way, do you you believe that your good deeds are good enough to get you to God? And if you're either one of those people, just let that go and receive what Jesus has for you. Because the Bible says he is the only way. He's the only way to heaven. He is better. If you don't know him, um, then you're not in the game at all but you're on the sidelines and you don't even realize it and this day you can choose what you're going to do we invite you to do that if you don't know Jesus but you want to uh, the Bible tells us in Acts two thirty-eight what to do so that we can make sure that we will cross over with him when we leave this life when we take our last breath the Bible says to repent And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I made this decision when I was a senior in college at ISU. I had a conversation earlier with someone, and she said, "I wish that I'd known the Lord um, when I was your age." And I said, "I wish that I'd known the Lord before I was in college because I had those waste. I felt like I've got wasted years. I could have been I could have been more of an influence in the kingdom." Maybe you're sitting here today and you, you look back at your life and you feel like you've wasted a lot of time. Let me just tell you this. God knows exactly who you are, exactly what you need, and he has you here for this very moment. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Not one thing, not one moment, not one sin, not one screw up, not one detour. He is with you in all of those things. And if you're here today and you don't know him, you can choose to know him today. And one day you'll walk into heaven no different than any of us who have known him longer than you to this point. You can make that choice. Just recently I found uh, I found a Bible um, that my parents gave me right after I got married. And actually it was right about the time that Hannah was born. Christmas of 2004. And I found it. In my trunk under a bunch of stuff, and I open it up, and the front cover is my dad's handwriting. That's a really big deal to me because my dad died three years ago this month. Here's what it said. He wrote, Neil, all of your life be like Joshua. All of your life be like Joshua. And then he put in parentheses twenty four fifteen. Joshua was saying, it's time for you to choose. If you find it distasteful to serve the living God, then go back and serve the God of the Amorites. So it might be for you. Go back and serve the God of self. Go back and serve the God of alcohol. Go back and serve the God of family. Go back and serve the God of parenting. But for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. I declare that again today for me and my family. I declare that over this church. But you have to make it personal. Because I can say it all day long and want all of that for you. But you have to make that choice for yourself. But I'm asking you to make that choice today. Who will you serve? And if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you can do that today. If you want to talk to me afterward about that, how you can do that, I'd love to do that. We always have people that come up and and pray. We have this great prayer ministry and people come up and they get freed and they come to know Jesus and all these amazing things happen because we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. We worship hard, we preach hard, we pray hard. We go all in, don't we? Let's be those people today. Let's pray and then we're gonna close with worship and we're gonna close with prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, if it wasn't for your word, we wouldn't have direction. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we, Once again today, we lay our lives at your feet and we ask you to use us. Use us powerfully today and through our lives. And every single person that we encounter, Lord, may they be better because we've been with you and we were with them. God, we give you thanks. We thank you for our new deacons. God, we thank you for just the spirit of service in our community. Father, I pray that you'd reach Aurora and the Fox Valley area with your love. We are available to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.
0: Amen.